I normally I'm supposed to be a, a women's activist, you know, advocating for the rights of women. But no, that's not what it is. Today, it's youth come up to me when they have difficulties in school, when they have difficulties with business. So Kantari completely changed my mentality. I thought I had carved a niche, but Kantari helped me to understand that I could use that niche as a tool, that I could, I should not be limited to just conservation, but I will be able to use environment as a tool to bring about holistic, positive change. Stick your neck out. The weekly podcast of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation. Welcome to the podcast to restore your faith in humanity. My guest today is Libby Blessing Tata, a trained botanist conservationist who has been working in the field of conservation over a decade. After graduating from Kantari in 2018, she started the organization Ecological Balance, which is valuing forests as a deposit of natural wealth accumulated over generations. Ecological balance is combining education and participation with active restoration efforts, thus helping to bring the benefits and value of Cameroon's forest back to the everyday life of the people. But I say no more. Welcome, Limbi, to Stick Your Neck Out. Thank you so much. Thank you. Limbi, you describe yourself as a female Cameroonian with a lot of passion for the environment, especially for the forest. How comes? First of all, because the one thing I know is the forest. I've seen forest all my life. I have known. I just know the forest. That's what I know. That is why I knew from young till now. So in your opinion, Limbi, what is the real value of the forest? Now, Yampi, thank you so much for that. Um, I think that's very important because, you know, people value forest mostly for the timber it produces. That's what I've seen around here in Cameroon. But then uh, we have forgotten that our farms, we come from the forest. Our water comes from the forest. Our food comes from the forest. The forest is a habitat. From my experience, everything we needed came from the forest. So it is unfair for us to suddenly think that the, va the, the value of the forest should be equated to a certain timber and maybe things that, um, that actually destroy the forest. Forest for us is everything. Despite efforts to promote sustainable forest management, an area approximately the size of Belgium has been cleared since 1990 in the forest. What is the situation like in the tropical forest in Cameroon? It's bad. It's really bad. First of all, it comes from different angles. First of all, there's the population, the forest-dependent communities who unfortunately, don't still value their forest. So it's like people coming from outside and destroy and do whatever. Now, the situation in Cameroon is a bit tricky. According to the 1994 Forestry Law of Cameroon, all forests in Cameroon belong to the government. Now, so that gives the people the notion that the forest is not theirs. They don't own it. So it's like, okay, the people who own it, they can do whatever they want with it. But then we forget to know that we go to this forest for everything. I tell you, medicine, for example, helps, medicinal helps. 
uh, we have heard, we heard the devastating effects that COVID-19 had on the world. Yep. But Cameroon stands. We didn't have a lot of it. We have over 99% recovery rate in Cameroon. And this is thanks mostly to herbs that came from the forest. So when it started, we all ran to the forest, we all ran to Mother Nature, and we were taking in this and taking in that and taking in that, and we are standing. But yet, the people still think it's, it doesn't make sense to fight, you know, yeah. people who are coming in from outside. Um, I think it's about time we stand up for what is, is really helps us. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's about time. I mean, Cameroon includes around 10% of the Congo Basin Forest, the second largest tropical rainforest in the world. Yes. Although the community is still forested, there is a continuous loss of natural forest, like about 30 hectares per hour, I've read. Yeah. What is ecological balance, I mean, your organization doing to counter-arrest it? Okay, thank you. The first thing is we... Because of our, where we are coming from, because I am coming from the grassroots, um, we are beginning from the grassroots. First of all, we do a lot of sensitization. We have a program. We run it on radio. It's, we go to communities. It's on newspapers and also on TV once a while. It is called Wa Forest Wa Money. You know, it, that's pigeon. In English, it is Our Forest Our Money. Okay. It comes. We we came up with this topic because when it, when you start talking about money around here, people really pay attention and people really understand, because suddenly everything is about money. So we are telling the people that the forest is our money. In fact, the forest is our ATM. We go to the forest every day for forest spices. We run to the forest for mushrooms. We have vegetables coming in from the forest. I know over 200 forest spices, as I speak to you, that give people, especially the women, money on everyday basis. Mm. So first of all, we want to re regurgitate, to re-educate the people, to say, look, it's not only about the timber. It's also about the fact that we go to this forest every day. Now, that one we are doing. Secondly, we are also supporting community forest. There's a concept in Cameroon called community forestry, where a forest actually applies to the government and a portion of the natural forest is given to that community to manage. So we are trying to encourage community forestry so that when it is given to you, it is your own. So we want to solve the issue of ownership where the communities think they don't own the forest through community forestry. And now when they acquire it, we step in to support them. They need a lot of training. They need, you know, a training on sustainable forest management. They need training on patrols, for example, like how to organize crackdowns, how to make sure your forest people don't just come into it anyhow. So we do a lot of training from that end. Thirdly, we are also doing a lot of forest regeneration. Uh, where I am right now in Boya, we are on the foot of Mount Cameroon. Mount Cameroon is the largest watershed in, in, in West Africa, yet... The town that is on the foot of Mount Cameroon is having a severe water crisis for over two decades now. Oh. Now, when you look at it, it is because the forest has been destroyed. People just rush and they destroy. You, you find water catchments that have no tree at all. So right now we are regenerating. Now, I want to say here that 
we are an environmental organization, but we want to have a social face to it mm. because that's important. That's really important. Yeah. Before I went to Cantari, I would always say it. I was a conservationist, but when I came back from Cantari, I came back as a social change maker. Today, it's no longer just longer about the forest. We want to let the people see. So in Boya, we are using water scarcity issue to let the people understand that it's about time we reforest. As I speak to you, we are planting our third forest. We have planted two already. And we are committed to reforesting all the water catchments, the main water catchments around Boya. The results of the first two have been very impressive. I am really, really, really happy. I am really thankful to the communities that helped us and the people that help us to achieve this. Mm. And so we are. It, it's a continuous thing. And I'm really happy for you, since since we are talking about the um, the importance of the of the forest. How can local actors benefit sustainably from Cameroon's environment and forest resources? Well, there is a lot. There are a lot of resources. I talked about spices. Cameroon has over 700 different varieties of forest spices. Just spices. Just spices alone. So these are things that are, you have are coming in at various times. So, for example, forgive the names, we have the bush mango that has a, a, a season when it is it's really expensive. Actually, we call it the petrol, you know, the oil and gas of the forest. And there are many families that really depend only on that. We have the bush mango, we have bush pepper, you know, all the spices you can ever think of. There is a there is a bush version that we have in Cameroon. Yes. So now what we really think that if people take away the attention from the the timber which destroys forests and put this attention on this uh, non-timber forest products, I'm talking about the leaves, I'm talking about the barks, about the fruits about uh, the mushrooms, the vegetables, all of these things that come out from the forest. If we just put our attention on it, there is a lot that we can gain from it. I mean, in monetary terms, because they, they are sold. These are things that are consumed all over uh, the West and Central Africa. Uh, I was in, in India and I saw bush pepper in India, which means there is a potential for, for exportation of these things. Now, the problem we are facing on the ground is the women don't have the technology to add value. So it's like you get up in the morning, you go to the forest, you gather bush mango or you gather bush onion, you come to your house. The least they do is they dry it. I mean, the most they do is they dry it and the next day they're on the market selling it. And as such, so in that season, everybody has it. You know how trees fruit, all the trees are fruiting in the same season. So it's very cheap. Mm, it's very yeah. cheap because everybody has it. It's very cheap. And there's no, if you don't sell it, it gets bad in your hands. Yes, so course. what we are doing is we are training women to add value and to process the spices. The first thing is so that they can sell off season. Secondly, to increase the shelf life so that you don't have, you are not forced to sell it now. Otherwise it gets bad. And so far in 2020, uh, we were able to train um, up to 61 women. And there are some who have taken up that as livelihood activity. So they have moved from just going to the forest, gathering and selling to actually gathering, adding value 
or processing before selling. And I tell you, the profit margin is up to 400%. Wow. When you do that. Wow, that's beautiful. Yeah, it's something that I'm thinking that could really change, the, the scope could really change, could really turn the tables. Really. Yeah, yeah, that could change a lot. Limbi, you said you said before the word timber, and I would like to explain first of all to our our listener, timber is any of the wood components of the tree that has been sown to the dimensions of a market. And non-timber forest products are all tangible products that the one can get from the forest which do not qualify to be zoned wood. Yes. For example, twigs, branches, bags, fruits, vegetables. How are you developing value change for non-timber forests and agricultural products? Okay, thank you. The first thing is it could be a good business for an individual, yes. But then for me, it's really more about the community. It's about, it's about the, the social change. Now, um, there is a background to me. First of all, I am a woman. I come from a very patriarchal community, a community that thinks that as a woman, if you lack education and you lack a finances, I mean, you are not economically viable, you have to shut up. You have to be seen. You don't have to be heard, you know. Mm. So that is the basis of what we are doing. So we are developing value chains, not for, it's not a, Limby doing, we don't want to do the business, but we want to train women, rural women. Okay. Women who can change, who can through this initiative, through the finances, the money that they get from this, who can get to educate their children. I probably did not mention in this part of the world, girl education is still an issue. Mm. We still have over 60% of girls who don't have access to secondary school at all. Why? Because they are girls, you know, you are just a girl, you, you have marriage and other things, you should prepare for other things. But we are saying that if these women are able to process these things themselves and have enough money, they are able to support their children's school. Um, one of the reasons why it is a patriarchal community is because we come from a background of women staying behind and letting the men go ahead to look for the money. And so when the man brings the money, he dictates, like who pays the piper dictates the tune. So we are saying that women should also be contributing citizens. So having said that, we are training women to understand that the forest is really, really valuable. It is what they had yesterday. It is what they have today. It's what they will have tomorrow. Secondly, we train them on how to transform sustainable harvesting because we also have an issue here of harvesting. Uh, you know, the forest is a very complex ecosystem. Mm -hmm. There's a way that you harvest a, a, a forest vegetable and it doesn't bear fruit any longer or it dies out completely. So we have come together, we have compiled all of those methods and so we are teaching the women sustainable harvesting. The second step is adding value to or processing. So I'll give you an example. We have something like oils from the forest. Now, Seeds, forest seeds are very rich in oils. But over the years, these oils are not used for anything. So we just go to the forest, we either bring the spices at home and we eat. But these are rich seeds that we could extract these oils and use them to do something. I'll give you an example, a very concrete example. That's what we call jangsa. It's a small seed. It has about uh, up to 70% of it is oil. So we teach the women that bring 
they have they gather the njangsa, they bring it to, to their houses, they dry it, and then we teach them how to extract the oil. And from the oil, they sell. Jangsa oil, first of all, has a market. So already there's a step one, which is already selling the Jangsa oil. And then there is another step that we can use it to do some cosmetics oh, okay. because uh, it's really good for the skin. Now, we got that from ancestral knowledge because our ancestors, when they were, you know, tribal wars and things, when they ran into the forest, they were harvesting and rubbing Jangsa oil on their bodies. Okay. So. When the women are able to do that, and then there's also one thing that is very important to us is the packaging. We are taking packaging very important because people have the tendency to think that this is from a rural community, so it's rural. We are saying, no, it's from a rural community, it's not rural. We are looking at international standards and the packaging. We really, really pay a lot of attention to the packaging. It should be done well. It should be such that Somebody walks along the shelf of a supermarket, they will look at it, they think it's beautiful, they use it, it's 100% organic, and they want to come back next time to buy it again. And now, because the women don't have a lot of resources, we are bringing them together in groups. We have small, small groups, pockets of women doing this. This group of women are doing bush mango. This group of women are doing jansa. This group of women are doing bush pepper and groups like that. Also, is to reduce competition so they don't start competing among themselves. Yeah, yeah, it's also important because they don't only only focus in one of the products, but in all of them. So you yeah. can you can really yeah yeah. So one of the things we are also doing along the value chain is that we are encouraging we are encouraging the women to plant these things. Uh, we are saying that we cannot depend on the forest forever. So uh, we have a model, it's called the forest garden model. So it's like, technically speaking, bringing the forest into the garden. So uh, most of these women have farms. So we just train them how to grow, to nurse, to grow these this forest trees and plant them into their farms. With that, we mm -hmm. are looking at the future. Uh, that is what you call forest gardening, right? Y yes, yes. Okay, okay. So another pillar of ecological balance is the conservation of threatened species in an ecosystem. Can you tell us a bit more how you're doing that? Okay, there are some species that are threatened, like we don't have too many of them on Earth. I'll give you a typical example. There's one tree, it is called uh, Microbelinia bisucata, it's, uh, or you call it um, the African zebra wood. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, it looks like zebra. The wood looks like, you know, the stripes of the zebra. So when you have the wood, it looks like zebra. It is endemic to Cameroon, meaning it originated from Cameroon and it's not found anywhere else in the world. And even in Cameroon, there's a very small area where it's found. It's, a, it's around the Mount Cameroon area. So by virtue of the fact that it's found only in a small area, it is, it is threatened. So if we are not careful... One day we'll get up and there's no type, no, no, no zebra wood anywhere. And so one of the things we do is we, we, we try to tell the people about it. This thing is really special. It's not found anywhere in the world. Secondly, we want to um, also encourage women to plant it. And thirdly, it has a huge market. The timber has a huge market. In fact, around here, they call it cocaine. It is very expensive, and there are people who are ready to buy it at any time. 
So there's a lot of illegal logging of, of that wood. Uh, the government has put some, some measures to ensure it's not locked, but then people, you know, human beings, there's a lot of illegal logging. So we partner with the government to try to fight illegal logging in that we have a, what we call an informant network. Okay. People in the communities who, you know, report things when things go wrong and stuff. So it's, it's a whole system. So we work with the government, the, the law enforcement arm of the government, of the Ministry of Forestry to do that. Also, we have a threatened ecosystems like mangroves. Cameroon has uh, mangroves along its Atlantic coast. Now, again, the social phase of mangroves is we have seen floods. We have seen that mangrove destruction has led to floods. This year, 2020 was a bad year in terms of floods. And again, it comes back to the environment. We think that we are superior beings and we are doing do anything to the environment. And it always comes back to us. So we go around the communities and we tell the people and we try to replant those things. There's a project we had. We were doing actually hedges to protect houses that were already vulnerable. So we put we were putting hedges of mangroves. And funny enough, the wall that we that was built, you know, to, to prevent floods from coming to houses, the the wall the wall floods destroyed the walls, but they were able to destroy the, the, the hedges. Okay. And that again was a testament, like see, this wall is it couldn't stand, but the mangroves are standing. And uh, one thing that is driving mangrove uh, destruction in Cameroon is the fuel wood industry. They have a lo- we have a lot of un- unemployed youths. There are lots and lots of them. So they go back to the to nature. They go like nature. They go back to to mangroves and they are cutting down and selling to people as charcoal, as firewood, uh, as fuel wood, and things like that. So we also try to educate the the the, the youths and to say that. You can always do something. Nature, you must not come back to destroy nature. And then you have small money and then your houses are all rubbish down because of floods. You can always do something. So we try to, to do a lot, a bit of entrepreneurial skill development. That one, it's really, it's what we really wish that we could really do in a, on a large scale. But for now, I think in 2020, we were able to train 13 youths. We would have loved to. Yeah, but that's that's. I mean, that's a that's a lot of people. Yes. I mean, of course, it's, it could be more, but that's also a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. So, I will say. So. Yeah, the forest sector in Cameroon is one of the largest economic sectors in the country, providing a large percentage of jobs and export revenue. However, critics note various shortcomings. Would you mind sharing them with us? Oh, of course. The first is corruption. Man, it is sad. If there is a, a sector in Cameroon where there are bottlenecks and corruption, it is in the forestry sector, I tell you. I said some, some minutes ago that we work with the law enforcement arm of forestry in Cameroon to do some things. And I tell you, it's you have to be lucky to get the right person to work with without mixing words. Okay. I am just saying that the way it is. Mm. Because sometimes you do all the work in the field, you are you have you are having your staff people are running, community members are tracking down because it's a lot of work. Secondly, it's very dangerous because uh these boys they know 
that when they are caught, they go to prison or they pay some money. So they are ready to do anything. And you are going out there, it is very, very dangerous. And sadly, at times when you do all of that work, they are arrested and supposedly detained. Some weeks later, you just find them on the streets. Yeah. And you're asking yourself what happened. Oh, frustrating. You're asking yourself what happened. So the first thing we have in mm. Cameroon, in the forestry sector, is there's a lot of corruption. And that's one of the reasons why communities don't really give a damn about forest. And why, that's why we want to go through community forestry. To say, okay, take this forest, let it begin to belong to you so that you are protecting your own. And also, we have, uh, um, there's a lot of administrative work takes too much time. You know, conservation is one of the things that has to be like now, now, now. Yeah. For example, if somebody is cutting down a whole forest, I cannot stop them. They probably have a paper they got from somewhere. And for you to be able to counter that paper, the procedure is long. It is so long. And possibly before you go through the process, he has finished an entire section. Yeah, too much bureaucracy. I think, yeah, I, I bureaucracy is, is too much. And that's why from, from 2020, we decided as an organization to concentrate on communities. Because with communities, it is, it is easier. You have a number of people, you call this, this, and action happens. With community, it's really only about the resources. If the resources are there, the action takes place. It's, it's that simple. And also, we have this, this notion that uh, uh, people think uh, that NGOs have a lot of money. <laughs> so, yeah, people think that NGOs have, have a lot of money. So when there are communities I go to and everybody is happy, and everyone comes out of their house, they are attending meetings, and to them, they know you will just pull out, uh, you know, maybe $10,000, $5,000, and say, you guys should share this amongst yourself. And, man, it's it's hard to even explain. At times, it's like, okay, this other organization came, and they, they gave us this. What are you bringing to the table? So it's very hard to, to, to say that, we, we inherited this forest, so it, it is only fair that we pass them on. We were not there when they were planted. Yeah, that's right. We don't know what happened, what the generations behind, what they put in place. But it is only fair for us to be able to pass on this forest. And sometimes it's very difficult for the people to understand. I tell you, it is not easy. Mm. Um. There are communities where I go to and on the one of the meetings, you have maybe a hundred women and they come, they expect a lot. And then they too, by the second week, you can have maybe just up 10 women because they look at everything and they say, we don't see the benefits now. Yeah. yeah. So that's one of the really big challenges that uh, the forestry uh, sector is facing. Because people don't really see the benefits as the long term. I I think I think the problem is they don't see the long term benefit. They want to see it like now today. Yes. But they don't think what's going to happen later. Exactly. They want to see it like now, and I will not fail to mention ignorance, because one of the things we are facing is we have these uh, disasters that come 
as a result of our negligence of the forest. And we are the same people who are crying. We are the same people who are in need. And funny enough, even the international community responds differently to these things. You mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. to get funding, for example, for a forest project is very difficult. I want to say it clearly. Mm. But mm. the moment there are floods here and there and the people people are crying out, oh, they are floods, the international community releases a lot of money. So people are giving new, uh, uh, new household things. They are given this, they are given that, they are given that. And then you ask yourself, where are we going to? There is a way we could have prevented this. Yeah, and I think... The question is why why we have to wait until a disaster happens to to care about what is really important. That's that's the question. You know? Yeah, ecological balance is an apolitical, non-religious, and non-profit making organization that uses the environment as a tool for social change. How exactly are you doing that? Um, non-religious, apolitical. Um, first of all, we don't belong to any party. I would, and I would advise any Cameroonian <laughs> not to. Um, <laughs> also, it's non-religious. It doesn't matter whether you're Christian, Muslim, Hindu, whatever. It's non-racial. We have uh, uh, volunteers who come here of all races. We don't really. Uh, we we welcome volunteers. We work online with volunteers of all races, and so it doesn't matter. It's just your will and your availability to, to work. And we use the, the environment as a tool uh, for social change. Let me give you just a, an example. Today, it's no longer about plus plant trees. If we were just planting trees, it would be, okay, we just want to conserve. We want to keep the forest in place. Today is less plant trees to mitigate water crisis. So we are using the environment as a bait. We are using the environment to show the people and to cause them to change, you know, for the better. Yeah. In Boya, yeah. for example, everyone has experienced the water crisis. So when I go to communities and I say, if we plant these trees in the next three, five years, this water crisis, we will no longer be facing it. And you give them fact, you find that the response is different. Six, seven years ago, these same communities I went to and I said, let's plant trees. And they said they don't see the benefits of trees. After all, we are a forest. You know, we are in the forest, in the Congo Basin, there are trees everywhere. So yeah. that's how we use the environment as a tool to bring about social change. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Igvinia gabonensis is a species of African trees in the genus Igvinia, sometimes better known by the common name wild mango. Yes. Tell me a bit about your wild mango project. Okay. Well, that's exciting. <laughs> First of all, I would say one of our the, our big project, our uh, livelihood project, is called Ivinja. So, it, like I said, it's wild mango or bush mango. It's like the mango that you know, but it's smaller. It's thorn. It has thorns inside, and it it's sour. But what is important, what we need is the seed. So the seed is used all over West Central Africa as spices, a soup thickener. If you have heard Nigerians, they always talk about ogono soup. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. So that is the main ingredient in ogono soup. And 
So there are many, there are two main uh, uh, varieties of it. There's one we call the bitter mango, and there's another one which is a sweet mango. And Cameroon is blessed to have both varieties. And so the bitter one comes off season and it's very expensive. And I said some time ago that we call it the petrol, the oil and gas of the forest. I know communities around Cameroon that are standing. If there is one person that went to school, if there is a doctor, if there is a, is a teacher, if there is a nurse, it is thanks to wild mango. There are many of such communities. We are talking about Manfe. We are talking about uh, uh, Ako, Mbembe area. I mean, that a singular resource like that could, you know, change the, the, the story of, of a community. We have boys who went to secondary school and went through just depending on the species. And it, it's a tree that grows. So it starts bearing from when it's seven years old. And so you have to be a bit patient with it. But then once it begins to bear, it can bear for the next 50 years. And so every year you have an abundance of the bush mango seeds for like six months of the year. Because some of them, you know, they have, there's a lot. It really bears much. And that's one of the gifts that nature gave to us. It has been, it has been implicated in weight loss. So we have had, we have seen uh, tablets and things that they pre produced from Evinja uh, uh, because they say if you, you eat it, it's it's good. It, it 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 helps you to lose weight. That I cannot say. I am not uh, a medic. Okay. Mm. We have also been used. We use it also in traditional medicine around here. Okay. And that's what when you call that species, everyone gets excited because they know the money involved and so that's why we named our project Evinja. okay okay and speaking about money you just uh, have established a fund that seeks to feed internally displaced families both during and after the COVID-19 crisis how exactly are you planning to do that okay so we established a forest garden in uh, 2020 now it was supposed to be a training center for women who come and they learn, you know, the steps involved in forest gardening. Now with the, the pandemic, though we didn't really, we were not really affected that much, but our bigger issue here is internally displaced uh, families. Um, so the Anglophone part of Cameroon, where I come from, we have been having a social political unrest for the past four years, and uh, over a million people have been displaced from their homes. And so you have this royal women, this, sorry, royal families who have moved and come to a place of safety and they left everything behind. They left their farms, they left forest and everything behind and have come to this place. And most often food becomes a challenge. So we want to not just train women on this uh, forest garden uh, farms, We want to establish it as living food banks. So we are expanding this year. I think we want to go up to two hectares of a farm that produces food and then donates it to internally displaced families. Basically, that's what we want to do. So we do the management. Okay, let's say, let's say I donate one or five euro 
to your organization? What can you do with it? So five euros, for example, we have what we call a priority crops. So uh, we have uh, uh, something like maize, corn or maize. I don't know how you call it there. And it's a really, it's a, it's a staple, it's a priority crop. So with five euros, I'll be able to buy up to five kilograms of maize seeds. And that we can plant it in about half hectare of farmland. And within three months of, uh, you know, weeding and uh, mainly weeding, you know, we, we don't encourage uh, chemicals in our farms at all. So in three months of weeding and, you know, taking care and make sure that pests don't destroy them, we can have, yeah, up to have a ton of mist. Okay, okay. Yeah. And so with that, we, we, we bring in the, the families. So we do it in shifts. We have them in quarters. There are some living in a certain neighborhood. There are some living in a certain neighborhood. So we get them to the farm. They harvest and we bring together, we boil, and then we distribute equally. Okay. So how many families are going to help these five euros I will give you? Maize, like I said, it's a priority crop for us because... It really multiplies, like you've heard what I said. So up to 50 families can be able to, to, to feed on this and we'll still have seed. Remember, we don't, we never ever forget the seed. So just five euros are going to help 50 families. Yes. That's awesome. I can only encourage my fellow uh, listeners just to go to your website and to support this, this, um, this program you have. Limi, you are a Deutsche Welle Global Media Forum Fellow and you are also an award-winning Obama Africa leader. You are also a member of the Kantadi Network of Changemakers. How did the Kantadi program help you on your path? Whoa. Kantadi changed my life. I'm telling you, Kantadi changed my life. I don't know what to say beyond that, but it completely changed my life. I said I went to Kantadi as a conservationist thinking that, you know, the environment must be kept safe for the sake of the environment. But then I came back from Kantari, a social change maker. Today, in my community, people don't know me as a conservationist. I am known as a, as, as a solution, basically. So you have youth. I normally am supposed to be a, a women's activist, you know, advocating for the rights of women. But no, that's not what it is. Today, it's youth come up to me when they have difficulties in school, when they have difficulties with business. So Kantari completely changed my mentality. I thought I had carved a niche, but Kantari helped me to understand that I could use that niche as a tool, that I, could, I should not be limited to just conservation, but I will be able to use environment as a tool to bring about holistic, positive change. And I'm telling you, it's really working because, man, families are changing. We've had uh, um, this issue of patriarchy. We are seeing changes. We've had women we trained, and today their husbands are the marketers of their businesses. This is something. It's, it's almost a taboo. It's something you wouldn't think of, you know, years behind. So Kantari completely changed my thinking and 
that put me on the right path. I would say just that. Thank you, Limbi, for your time today. Thank you so much, MP. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really honored. And I would just say, um, you know, 2020 was a year that taught us lots of lessons. COVID-19, the crisis in Cameroon really heightened. We saw things that we have never seen before. But it taught me one thing, that humanity is stronger than any disease. Humanity is stronger than any crisis. So um, I am leaving, especially the youth, with this message that you are stronger than you think. And if only you can put your hands together and be passionate about a cause, no matter how small, you will contribute your bit to making this world a better place. Thank you. And there we are at the end of the podcast to restore your faith in humanity. My guest today, Limbi Blessing Tata and the team of Ecological Balance are rebuilding Cameroon's forest wealth, tree by tree. And you, dear listener, you can make a difference. Your contribution to this organization can go a long way in the protection and conservation of the environment. Go and take a look at ecobalances.org. You'll find the stories of the Cantari alumni or the Giraffe Heroes, the stories of people sticking their necks out every Tuesday on Spotify, iTunes, our homepage, and every other place where you get your podcast. And if you subscribe, you don't have to look out for us. We'll be coming to you. And if there is a friend, a family member, an organization, someone you know who is doing a great work in the community, someone sticking her, his, its necks out, just nominate this person as a Giraffe Hero or tell us about them come and visit us at giraffe-heroes.eu. Next week, I'll be talking with Harriet Kamashanyu from Uganda. She is the founder and executive director of Rhythm of Life Uganda. Her work with girls and women is focused on education, health, human rights advocacy, awareness and economic empowerment. Rhythm of Life is an initiative targeting sex workers in Kampala with an aim of providing health services, counseling and training. My name is Jean-Pierre Aguiar-Durañona and I hope you join us also on our social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube. But more importantly, I hope you join us again next week. Stick your neck out. The weekly podcast of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation. 